don't try to make the bureaucracy care because fundamentally like <laughs> bureaucracies do not have feelings, but they are made up of humans who have feelings. And so what you want to give the bureaucracy is what the process needs to move forward. Welcome to How To. I'm Amanda Ripley. We've all been there, lost in some kind of diabolical bureaucracy, dealing with a chatbot or a line at the DMV or sitting on hold with your insurance company for hours. For this week's listener, their battle with the bureaucratic void started in the early days of the pandemic. My name's Gwen. I filed for unemployment, but I haven't received the money. And I have all this logged information that says I received money that I didn't receive. And it's, it's messed up a lot of my stuff, like my tax returns yeah. and all sorts of stuff. Could you tell us what was going on that led you to initially apply for unemployment? Well, when... Uh, the pandemic started. I worked at a brewery and we closed down, so I didn't have any income. And were you worried about paying the rent or what was what was foremost on your mind? Yeah, rent, my car insurance. I was also paying off my car at the time, my cell mm. phone and just like my health insurance because I pay for that on my own. Faced with all these very real expenses, Gwen did what her coworkers were doing. She filed for unemployment which was something a lot of people were doing. One in four workers relied on unemployment during the pandemic. And for most of them, this was a lifesaver. But for some unlucky few who got caught in the maze of the bureaucracy, it made things even worse. I assume you went online and for the state of Michigan and what was it hard to do? No, it was easy. And I feel like that's why I messed up because I wasn't like, I was like, okay, do to do, just check, check, check. Yep, yep. All this applies to me. And I guess, I don't know. I feel like I wasn't reading it carefully because I accidentally said I like don't need the pandemic uh, unemployment money. Like the PUA is what it, the acronym. And okay. that's what they kept telling me. Like when I would call, they're like, well, you said you don't need it. I'm like, yeah, but I didn't mean to. <laughs> Oh, okay. So it seems like the initial snafu was you either did or didn't check a box you you shouldn't have. From what I understand, yeah, that's what they allege. Yeah, that's what they allege. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) Um, okay. And so, what was your first tip off that things were not going as planned? Um. Well, I wasn't getting any money, so I kept calling them, and they kept telling me just to wait because like everything's on hold, everyone's waiting, and I was like, I understand, like this is you know unprecedented times. So then it, it didn't come, and then we got like the second stimulus check, and I didn't get it. Okay, and so then how much time went by before you finally got something? Like three or four months. And what did you get? It was a debit card, and it had like $1,000 on it. And I was like so happy because I thought, okay, maybe I'm going to finally get all the claimed unemployment weeks. Mm, right. And so you, so meanwhile, you'd been going months. How yeah. are you living? Um, I had my savings and I borrowed money from my mom, to be honest. She gave uh-huh. me her uh, stimulus check, her second one. And I was like, well, when uh-huh. I get this figured out, I'll give you mine. Did you have to move or? Um, yeah, I just moved back home because I was too stressed out and I didn't know when it was going to end or what I was going to do. So, and I spent so much time like waiting and trying to talk to the right person and 
just like having a good attitude and it just didn't help. And I was like, I just don't know what to say to get them to see what's going on. Cause like, mm. I felt like they thought I was getting it and lying, but I'm like, if you look at the, you know, I don't know my bank account, I don't have it. So they thought they sent money out. I think so. They were like, it says you're getting, you have all this. And I'm like, yeah, I, I know it says that, but I, like, I don't see it on my end. If, if you don't mind me asking, how much did they think they had given you? I think it was like 13000 Oh, wow. So quite a bit. Yeah. And it's claiming that I received it on my 2020 taxes. So I haven't done those still. They're just oh sitting there. Oh, gosh. So not only did you not get the $13,000, but now it's screwing up your taxes. Right. Like, I wish I never even signed up because <laughs> it's such a, it just hangs over me. Like, if I think about it before bed, I just can't sleep. I just beat myself up. I feel like such an idiot. I feel like it's my fault. I'm, I'm struck by the way the narrative I'm hearing is that you are to blame. Is that how it feels? Yeah. And I just, it's really like hurt my self-esteem a lot. I just feel like incapable kind of like, hmm. I've, I've kind of like not added anything onto my plate because I just feel like I need to get this done before I can like move on in my mm. life. <laughs> You're frozen. Yeah, that's how it feels. Fiasco. Yeah, is it kind of like you're stuck in a some kind of trap? Yeah, and I don't know how to get out of it. I don't know like what to. I have no idea like what to do. If you've ever been caught in a bureaucratic or legal nightmare, you probably know how Gwen feels. Like there's this weight slowly pressing down on your chest all the time. For three years, Gwen's been carrying this weight around, and it's starting to take a real toll on her health, her ambition, and her confidence. So today, we picked up the bat phone and called in a modern-day superhero, someone who is not afraid of fine print and government regulations, who, in fact, revels in defeating them. Hi, I'm Marina Nitza. I was the chief technology officer for the Department of Veterans Affairs in the Obama administration, where I led a lot of our digital transformation work. Um, I have a crisis consulting firm called Lair Olive, and we led Governor Newsom's unemployment claims backlog strike team during the heat of the pandemic. Uh, I also led an unemployment improvement sprint for New America's New Practice Lab, where we published a playbook of things that are working for states. And I recently wrote a book called Hack Your Bureaucracy. See what I mean? a member of the League of Justice, right here. Yeah, unfortunately, Gwen, uh, you are one of millions of people, I would say, that have been in this situation or are still currently in this situation. So I don't know if that makes you feel better, but I do have some answers for you today. So I think there's some ways forward. Oh, good. Well, that's reassuring. I'm like, got the (laughs) prayer hands right now. If you also have prayer hands right now, fear not. We have some surprising tips that could help all of us escape whatever procedural quagmire we've fallen into. And when we come back, we'll find out how our expert Marina first discovered her remarkable ability to machete her way through any amount of red tape. Also, please stick around to the end of the show. We've got a little bit of news to share with you. This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. 
The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Before Marina Nitza became the bureaucratic ninja she is today, she was just a really precocious kid who asked a lot of questions. I've just always been a natural problem solver and perhaps uh, always a bit uh, curious or questioning of, you know, why is that actually the rule? Um, I taught mm. myself how to code in elementary school and started making websites and then increasingly started using website technology to help businesses get more streamlined or solve problems or add operational efficiencies. Uh, and that continued on until I was in my late 20s uh, when I heard about this program called the Presidential Innovation Fellows, which was a new offshoot of the White House Fellows Program that wanted tech-savvy entrepreneurs to come in and disrupt government for six months. Uh, and as a lifelong diehard libertarian, that sounded pretty crazy, and I was pretty sure I would never get picked. I didn't hear anything for months. Then on a Thursday, I got a fairly random call from Richard Kulata at the Department of Education saying he'd like me to be his Presidential Innovation Fellow at the Department of Ed, but I had to move from Seattle to D.C. that following Tuesday. Uh, and that sounded just wow. crazy enough that I was like, all right, I'll show up and I'll prove to myself that you can't fix the government and it's just going to be me banging my head against a wall. And I was totally, totally wrong. All right, let's just pause to let this sink in. Marina, in addition to being this uber-talented, tech-savvy problem solver, is also a libertarian, which means she's deeply skeptical of the government and wants it generally to be as small as possible. And so what does she do? She dares herself to go right into the belly of the beast at the Department of Education in Washington to prove that it can't be fixed even by her. Got it? Okay, let's continue. Wow, okay. Where, where had your libertarian leanings come from and how did they evolve? Like I'm sure you didn't abandon them entirely. Oh, I am definitely still a libertarian, uh, but I, yeah. I think government can work a lot more effectively. And I think one mm -hmm. key to that is understanding the end user, the constituent experience. Uh, when I started mm -hmm. at the VA, for example, VA has 83 different benefit lines, and we operated like 83 different departments. Uh, it was very common to separate from the military, and the first thing you would do was get over 100 pieces of mail from the VA, each mm -hmm. that looked different, had different instructions, had different websites. 
Um, it was extremely chaotic. And my team ended up building like the veteran experience office and really focusing on what was the veteran experience of things? How could we use plain language to make the instructions make sense, right? How could we make mm. your claim status make sense? How could we answer the phone when you call? Uh, and we did some pretty spectacular things. Like uh, when I started, only eight veterans out of 20 million veterans in America, eight, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, had ever successfully gotten healthcare online. Meanwhile, there was a warehouse of 800,000 pending forms, and over 100,000 of those veterans died waiting to enroll in VA healthcare. We put oh a form God. online and 2 million veterans have since used that form to enroll instantly. And the reason why the VA hadn't tried that before is because they believed that veterans don't use the internet. And so it required, you know, going out and talking with lots of veterans to prove that in fact they do <laughs> and they continue to. Wow. Wow. So is your kind of theory that basically many of the problems in bureaucracies can be traced to a lack of empathy and understanding of the customer? Absolutely. And I would lean more towards the understanding than the empathy. I think a lot of public service huh. servants have a lot of empathy, but they don't understand uh -huh. how their step fits into the bigger process. And often in government and public sector at all levels, nobody owns an end-to-end -end process. People own individual uh -huh. steps. I just want to point out that when you started there, you were the chief technology officer, right? Correct. Okay. And the VA, correct me if I'm wrong, is the largest civilian agency. It has something like 300,000 full-time employees. The IT department is like $5 billion budget, 16,000 staff members. I mean, it's just a huge organization. But you were not the chief information officer. You were the chief technology officer, which turns out to be different. So I think, if I have this right, when you started, you had a $0 budget and zero staff members. <laughs> That so, is correct. How? I actually tried to get a dry erase board for my office, uh, and it turns out my $99 office supply budget was not enough to buy a $105 government dry erase board. Oh, my God. Okay, so then how in God's name did you manage to help make these changes, given where you started? Literally all that I had was a pile of paper clips in my office drawer, and I remember <laughs> staring at them thinking, like, what can I do with these? And at that moment, the head of the executive secretary pool popped her head in my office and she said, hey, Marina, have you seen Green Pack 42? And I said, I don't know what that is, but I have nothing else to do. I'll help you find it. And so we wandered around this 12-story office building looking for a green folder with the number 42 on it. And it turns out huh. when members of Congress or other agencies write a formal letter to the VA, it went in a green folder. And then everybody that wanted to weigh in on the official answer, you know, it would pass their desk. They'd write in their answers. Um, in the course of looking for Green Pack 42, we also found a closet of unused barcode scanners. And so I thought, hmm. ooh, what if instead we printed a barcode on these folders, and then when it landed on your desk, you scanned it in, and then ExecSec would always know who last had the folder. So I spent huh. maybe an hour doing this on a Friday afternoon, um, handed out the barcodes. I called it Folder Finder because I like alliteration, but they called it M-Boop, M for Marina, and Boop for the sound that it made when people <laughs> scanned in their folders. And very soon you heard this boop sound pretty constantly around the hallways. <laughs> and I had unknowingly unlocked this tremendous amount of political capital with some, some of the most important people in any organization, which is the secretaries. Right, right. Okay, this is, uh, this is awesome. Um, so I am wondering, Gwen, listening to this, I'm thinking about how you are one of many millions of people who have been caught in bureaucracies. So Marina, do you have any any thoughts about where to begin when you're caught in this kind of system? So it sounds like we've got three kind of distinct problems. One is filing your federal taxes. And I have some 
good advice on that that hopefully applies or not hopefully, but may apply to many listeners. Uh, then we want to check on your second missing stimulus check and then about figuring out where your actual unemployment benefits went. Um, so on your federal taxes, uh, so many people got incorrect 1099Gs, which is the form you got that said how much unemployment that you received that you didn't actually receive, right, from Michigan? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So the IRS has a special program for this, knowing that so many people had unemployment benefits fraudulently taken out in their names, that they had an incorrect 1099G. So the IRS guidance on this for anybody that's listening is go back and file your 2020 taxes on TurboTax or wherever you're doing it, and don't report that 1099G income. So file your taxes as though you had not gotten that form. And then in Michigan, although this will vary by state, you want to file form 6349, which is to get a corrected 1099G. Mm. Uh, and that should give you, it will ultimately send to the IRS a fixed 1099G. And if you want to keep track of that, the IRS has an online account. You can go to it, irs.gov slash account. Yeah, I and I've been on like the irs.gov a lot, <laughs> trying to get like past taxes, but I didn't know I could fill that out instead of filling out the wrong 1099G because I thought I would just have to claim like this this unemployment money that I haven't gotten. Right. Nope. You should not claim it. Uh, and there's, uh, again, a specific IRS program was designed because so many people got incorrect 1099Gs based on unemployment. Um, okay. So that makes me feel better that other people did too. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's unfortunate, uh, but uh, and it was because a lot of states had really inadequate identity verification programs. But uh, good news for you. So I think hopefully you can file your federal taxes and at least that is off your plate because I imagine that's a pretty overwhelming burden knowing that they're not filed and worrying you might get, you know, a scary audit notice. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like a wait. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So second thing on your missing stimulus check. So that should not necessarily have anything to do with you having gotten unemployment or not. Um, but there's also a recovery rebate credit that the IRS gives you. So if you didn't get your second stimulus check, you can actually claim that as a deduction on your taxes. And it's called a recovery rebate credit. So I would look that up as your, I don't know if TurboTax will prompt you, but you should look up kind of the instructions for that. Okay. So here's our first insight. If you're stuck in some kind of mess like this, know that you are definitely not alone. About $60 billion in pandemic unemployment aid went to fraudsters, according to federal estimates, which is about one in every $5 that went out, which means a lot of non-fraudsters are left to clean up the mess that was created in their name. So there are well-worn paths out of this misery, for whatever that's worth. The problem is, how do you muster the energy to persevere and find those paths? I would also, while you're in the irs.gov slash account, check your bank account information because you do want to make sure you didn't get the second stimulus and it went, you know, to the wrong bank account. I don't want to interrupt you, Marina, but I just yeah. want to just note that this is amazing. So, like, you seem to have a different mindset altogether when it comes to problems like this, like a mindset where you almost treat it like a like a challenge. It's and like a puzzle. break it into parts. Yeah. yeah. Where you're, like, curious as opposed to frightened. Yes, I think that's a great way to put it. I think too many people believe that, you know, bureaucratic processes were designed to harm people or to keep them from getting benefits. I would hear that a lot about the VA. And I would often mm. tell people like, that would have been great 
if there was an evil guy on the 12th floor right. at the VA like the who was trying to keep competence yeah, <laughs> that veterans require. away from their benefits because we would take turns locking him in his office and then we would all go fix it. Uh, what <laughs> is really much more the case is that it was never designed in the first place. Uh, it mm. never had end user experience in the first place. And as well-intentioned and dedicated as the overwhelming majority of public servants are, once you're on the inside, you can't have the perspective of someone on the outside. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, curiosity rather than uh, frustration and an assumption that people are out to get you is a much, I think, more productive approach. OK, so it sounds like in order to make that mindset shift, the first thing people can do is to recognize that it's not personal or malicious, most likely, that it's a design problem in this whole system and then try to get curious about how that system operates if you can, right? So if you get someone on the phone, just understanding, well, how do, how do these things generally happen? Yes, absolutely. I like to tell a Harry Potter analogy of it, which is uh-huh. so many times people try to go at a big problem like Harry and everybody went after Voldemort for the first six and a half books. Also, this has a spoiler in it if you, for some reason, have not gotten to the end. Uh, and in the meantime, like Voldemort is stronger than ever. Half of Harry's family dies. There's billions of pounds of muggle property damage. And, you know, we're 10 steps back. What really works is breaking Voldemort down into his horcruxes and killing Uh. one piece at a time. And I think it's overwhelming (laughs) to look at how do you fix unemployment? How do you fix the VA? How do you fix foster care? Those are two big uh, problems. And it kind of shuts our brains down, like our brain's ability to brainstorm down. But if you can break it down to why didn't she get her second stimulus check or how can she file her 2020 taxes, I think that gets more manageable, especially when you're overwhelmed with, I mean, this is pretty stressful, right? Like worrying the IRS might audit you and still not having money that they claim you have. Like that's very stressful. So you're trying to kind of identify the problems, break them into smaller, you know, core cruxes or whatever. Um, (laughs) And then, uh, and then understand the system a little bit well enough so you can figure out where things have gone awry for you. Yeah. I love your Horcrux analogy, by the way. That's so good. (laughs) Make your list of Horcruxes, then you go around (laughs) whacking them one by one. We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we'll move on to the next Horcrux. How do some organizations get so tangled up in knots in the first place? Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. On Death, Sex, and Money, we feature interviews with you, our community of listeners, getting honest about uncomfortable things. I developed an illness where it isn't safe for me to drive. 
A friend once said to me, sex is like air. You don't think about it until you're not getting enough. This is a similar sort of thing if you just replace sex with driving. Listen to Death, Sex, and Money wherever you get podcasts. We're back with bureaucracy expert Marina, who's combing through the clues for our listener Gwen's missing unemployment checks. I'm wondering if your identity was stolen in the middle of this process. You said you got a debit card with $1,000 on it, right? Yeah. Because my broad experience with unemployment systems is once you have a form of payment, like check or bank deposit or a uh, debit card, that doesn't, it's very, very difficult to change. And so I am wondering, A, like, is there any possibility that that $13,000 went to that debit card? Okay. I don't think so because I kept trying to use it and it just didn't work, but um, I don't know. Okay. Did you use any of the 1000 or it never worked? I, I did. I used like that 1000 Okay. Um, have you logged into the website, which I believe is MyWAM, and seen if it has like a payment history for you? Yeah. So I, that was something that I thought maybe would like wake it up. So I kept like changing it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to make it a card. Maybe they'll like realize, oh, she hasn't been getting her money. Then I'll send her this car, her debit card, a new debit card. So I kept changing it from debit to my bank account, to debit to my bank account, (laughs) like get something to happen, which was probably stupid, but I was just trying to get them to like notice me. (laughs) Oh boy. This is, that actually gives me an incredible clue. So a lot of unemployment systems that don't have like, uh, sophisticated identity verification systems, they use things like how often you change your mailing address or how often you change your payment method as a flag fraud. Hmm. I bet if you constantly changed it, and it's not, there's, don't think about this as a human looking at it and seeing, oh, she's changing between two things. Think about it as a database count of, hey, in the last 30 days, she's changed her account 15 times um, as a flag fraud. And actually, this was something we uncovered in user research, which is, you know, so many banks now, they say like, hey, if you open a new checking account, you get like a $10 bonus or something. So it's actually also a very common practice for people that are, you know, struggling financially to change their bank account a lot. And we got a few states to stop that as a flag fraud, because it's not, as in your case, Mm -hmm. too, accurate. It doesn't mean that you're a criminal, that you just changed your information a lot. But I would suspect that flagged you for manual review, Hmm. which would explain a delay, but it would not explain why it says it's given you $13,000 and you don't know where that money is. Yeah. And like last time I called, mm-hmm. I did make a claim for fraud. That was like the most recent thing I've done, but I haven't heard okay. anything back. Okay. Um, have you tried contacting your congressperson yet? No, but I have okay. heard that that's like a good thing to do, but I don't know where to start or who I would call. I'm a little intimidated by that. So you should figure out who your Congress people are based on where you live. Uh, and for your okay. states, so you're going to have Senate and like representatives, and you should write a brief email with all your information of, you know, you applied in 2020, kind of like a timeline and send it to all of them, which one you can send in an email. Uh, and then they very well may be able to help you more expediently than any other path. Okay. But it sounds like when you were nervous about doing this, because it seemed like Oh my God, that's a member of Congress. Like, you know, do I have the right to do this? Is that overreacting? Like, just know that there's a legion of like interns who work there who um, just sit around dealing with these requests. But those people, those members of Congress do work for you. 
Okay. Yes. Yeah. I picture like the president opening right. up my like email. The, <laughs> right. <laughs> in the Oval Office. There's Joe Biden. Looks like Gwen's got a problem over in Michigan. Can we get someone on that? <laughs> okay. And this raises the question, Marina, if you are going to send an email to a bureaucracy, is there a way to frame it or a tone to use that is more likely to lead to positive results? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So on the other side of this is going to be an intern whose job it is to help you, but they are not a magician or a psychic, right? So you want to be clear. I would kind of leave the emotions out of it, and you want to provide them enough information so that they're not going back and forth with you eight times, right? If you think about it, if they're getting 50 emails and yours is one that they could literally forward to the unemployment office because it has all the information that they need to know, that's probably going to get top attention versus one where you wrote in and you just said, hi, my name is Gwen and I need help. They're going to have to write back, get your you know last name, get your details, et cetera. So make it uh, clear, short sentences with all the information that they would need to work down your claim. So anything you have, like a confirmation number, dates, uh, and then put them in you know, like a bulleted order. Make it a really easy, make it easy for the other person is a way to think about it. Okay, here's another tip. It may seem obvious, but if you're contacting a bureaucracy, get all your ducks in a row in advance. When I lived in France, which has a legendary infatuation with nonsense procedures and inane rules, I learned to prepare for any encounter with a bureaucracy like it was a steel cage match. I'd get all my documents and details in clear, concise order before I dared to make a move so that they couldn't get confused or need a follow-up visit or stump me with some question I couldn't answer. I treated it like a game, a complicated and extremely tedious game, but a game all the same. Yeah, I'm like nodding along, yeah. (laughs) Okay, okay, and I think the sort of old reporter trick works here, which is like, just ask yourself who, what, when, where, why, you know, like what exactly happened and do it in order. Cause that's kind of how brains work is chronologically. But I also want to return to something, Marina, you said, I don't think this is uh, a problem that Gwen's going to have, but you said, leave the emotions out of it. And I can imagine that for a lot of us, that is going to be a challenge because we are assuming malice, right? And we are assuming evil intent. And we maybe even think that if we get more indignant, that we'll get a better result. But is that true? Yeah. Like I've seen so many people who emotionally pitch a fit, like IT, for example, like Mm -hmm. I need to use this tool for my job. The approval form or the approval process of the bureaucracy does not ask about how your job will be easier or how many people will be harmed. It asks for, you know, like what security compliance level it has or whatever it may Mm. be. And so when we try to make the bureaucracy care, uh, we are slamming our heads against a steel wall. And so what Mm. I recommend instead is understand what the bureaucracy needs from you. And so Gwen, in that case, it's facts, dates, and like things like confirmation numbers and leave the emotion out of it, which makes it as easy as possible for that other person on the other end to help you. Yeah. It is so easy to personalize it and to think that the way to get attention is to be loud. Usually it feels like that is exactly the opposite of what will work because people get defensive, they you know, delete your email. They, I mean, there's just, nobody likes to be attacked as a general rule. Um, <laughs> but but it reminds me of how the other day, our uh, both of our recycling bins in our alley just disappeared. This is obviously, Gwen, not the same level of problem. But just as an example, um, they just disappeared. They just vanished. 
And my whole family got consumed with trying to find them, you know, going up and down the alley looking for them because they had our address on them. Because, <laughs> you know, like we kind of need them. And, uh, yeah. and we couldn't find them anywhere. We got weirdly obsessed with it, which I think goes to show like how a mystery can really consume your brain. You know, you're like, there has to be a reason. And I had a whole kind of like, maybe someone stole them, but why ours? Why both of them? You know, and then <laughs> finally I get this email randomly from the city of Washington, D.C., congratulating itself on having... Uh, taken away both of our recycling bins as requested. <laughs> and I'm like, what? So then I call the number. I'm at an airport waiting to board a plane and I'm my heart's pounding. And yeah, I did, I did have that feeling like they're just trying to destroy me. You know, it's like, <laughs> no, they're not. They don't care. They're not trying to destroy you. And so eventually many boring things happened, but eventually it turned out there was an error in their system. Uh, and I eventually talked to this woman, Donna, if you can get to Donna, everything <laughs> will be resolved. Like she was just like, she was uninterested in like my emotion, rightly so, but she wanted to just know what had happened, when it happened. And then she sent an email and CC'd like 400 people. I don't know who these people are. And then boom, the next day we got two beautiful recycling bins <laughs> delivered yep. with no explanation. Nice. Donna probably understands how her bureaucracy works in a way that most yes. people in the bureaucracy only know how their step works. So Donna is magical. And yes, get to Donna. <laughs> yes. Donna is my hero. And she just, she could get things done. Because like Marina, she understood how the process works, how it doesn't work. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's a lot about just getting to that person, it seems like. Um Gwen, do you feel any reassurance in the steps she suggested so far? Yeah, I feel like I was feeling kind of just hopeless. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm, I guess I'll die. Like, I don't know. I don't know what to do about it. <laughs> You're but, like, I guess I'll die with this still hanging over me, like, <laughs> yes. in, like, 60 years. Is that what you're yeah. saying? Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, but in also, like, leaving the emotion out of it, I feel like you said it wouldn't be a problem for me, but I feel like I, I was kind of being really emotional and feeling like, they were out to get me like they want to just ruin my life and but like when you talk to them it's hard to find a good one like you said like a donna but mm -hmm. when i did find a really good one it was awesome to like i'm like how can i get a hold of you again and they're like you can't <laughs> just yeah. call again and you'll get someone else <laughs> okay. i i wonder i mean are there ways in which bureaucracies are actually good because it's easy to just hate on the bureaucracies but marina is there anything that people just don't appreciate when it comes to these systems? Yeah, my co-author Nick and I, uh, when we were writing Hack Your Bureaucracy, actually sought to find a place that was not a bureaucracy. Uh, and we were unsuccessful. Hmm. And our, our trip even took us to like a co-op grocery store in Berkeley, California. And it turns out when you talk to them that they indeed were a bureaucracy. And so we <laughs> used the term very neutrally uh, and intentionally. And actually, it was really interesting. A part of my work in the federal government was recruiting lots of private sector technologists to come serve and we often recruited like, you know, rock star Silicon Valley, whomevers that really flamed out spectacularly in a bureaucracy because their approach was to get mad at it, to stomp their feet, to try to go around it. Bureaucracies exist. And it's about instead understanding its natural rhythms to make it work for you. And ideally, if you're in a place of power, make it work for other people. And it sounds like to get there, you got to have a certain level of agency, right? Like a certain sense of like, and you, from an early age, figured out you could get things done. So, like, what's your secret? <laughs> yeah. I think instead of going around 
thinking that people in the bureaucracy are there, you know, to keep you from getting benefits, to slow you down, to not answer your phone call. You have to look around for who might be there to help you uh, and then how you can accomplish something together that maybe you could not individually. Um, Mm -hmm. I really learned this early on in my time at VA. I still had no money, but I had my chance to get my first budget. And to do that, I had to move a thousand articles off one website onto another. That does not sound particularly hard if you have technology skills of any kind, but I was by myself and that was a lot of pages and I didn't have enough time. And I was complaining Mm -hmm. about this to the security guard when it occurred to me that he had a laptop and a little bit of time on his hands. And so I said, hey, would you like to learn HTML and maybe you could help me with this project? Come at lunch and I'll teach you. And he came and he came with the security guards from the other 11 floors. And so we had like a class. They all learned HTML. I beat my deadline. I got a multi-million dollar budget for the first time ever. And uh, they all left for IT jobs. So VA had a a slight security guard employment (laughs) problem for a little while. But it really taught me that like you never know who your allies might be around you and what you can do collectively to start moving the needle or start uh, killing your horcruxes. Here's our last insight. It's natural in situations like this to just be looking for enemies all around you in the bureaucracy. But the truth is, it's going to go a lot better if you look for friends. The next time you actually reach a human on the phone, try to treat them like a person, the way you want to be treated. And they might just surprise you. Gwen, is there one thing that we've talked about that you think you could do this week? Uh, I am looking forward to emailing some representatives, see if I can find my W-2s from 2020. And then uh, if not, I'll have to call my old employer, but get those so I can maybe finish that part and mm-hmm. do the part that uh, Marina suggested. Uh-huh. uh-huh. If you don't have your W-2s, you can get them on your irs.gov slash account transcript. So you don't need to wait to contact your former employer. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Fantastic. Good luck, Gwen. Thank you. Thank you, Gwen, for coming to us with this really hard nightmare of a problem. And please let us know how it's going. A huge thank you also to Marina Nitza for her badass tips for breaking through bureaucratic walls. Make sure to check out her book, Hack Your Bureaucracy. And before we say goodbye... I want to bring on my co-host, Carvel Wallace, because we have a little bit of news to share with you all. Hi, we do have a little bit of news to share with you all. Amanda, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. Although there's some sad news of transition I'm hearing yeah, in the winds. It's bittersweet. Well, you know, after two years on this show, learning, mm. loving, laughing, <laughs> crying, all the things, it mm-hmm. is time for me to hand over the reins to you. And uh, Mm. to a new co-host, soon to be announced, because I've got a bunch of stuff that I am failing to get done and need to get done. (laughs) And Mm. uh, uh, it's just a good time, I think, for a change at the show and for me to meet some deadlines that I'm missing. (laughs) But I'm sad to say that this will be my last show. But also, I feel really good about where the show is. And I know it's in great hands. And Mm -hmm. I know that we have fantastic guests and listeners who we can always rely on. And we have you to help them with all their problems and to listen (laughs) and to set them straight when they need to be set straight and to ask hard questions and and to help us share these stories in ways that are are useful. 
Yeah. So you're stepping away from the show. And I mean, I'm sort of pretending like I'm hearing this for the first time now, but that's not right. true. I've known for a few weeks, but it's I st it hasn't made it any easier to accept. <laughs> so maybe you could help me feel better by telling me what's coming next for you. Sure. Well, I'm continuing to write a column for The Washington Post, which is mm -hmm. also in a way kind of like the show, trying to figure out solutions to hard problems and not just marinate in misery. Um, right. And then... Also, I am. Uh, I started a company a couple years ago called Good Conflict, oh. where we uh, we help people try to fight more intelligently. So yeah, I'm really excited about that and to continue to go a little deeper on experimenting with new ways to cover conflict as a journalist. So that makes me wonder, like, um, you've been doing this show for two years, and like, I, I imagine you've learned a lot about conflict and about listening and about coming to solutions together. Do you have any like standout moments that really resonate for you when you think back on your time at the show? I mean, I would say the the biggest lesson for me has been how incredible it can be when you take someone who's struggling with something hard mm -hmm. and they reach out just, mm -hmm. you know, not all the way out, but just, you know, they just crack <laughs> open the door yeah. and say, I could use some help with this. And first, I'm always amazed that people will come to us with some really deep problems. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I've learned that that's partly because if it were easy, they would have solved it by now. There's something really vulnerable, but also beautiful about the way people come to us with their problems and the way mm. that they connect with not just our experts, but with us, I think. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. do you think that's fair? Like I often mm -hmm. feel like I'm not going to know anything about this particular situation. And then there's some moment where there's like a spark, right? Where you're like, mm -hmm. ah, okay, now I see something yeah. I didn't see before. Do you feel like that? Yeah, I do. I mean, there is something really powerful about the moment at which we accept that we need help to do something. Yeah. I, I don't know about you, but I was, I grew up with the belief that like, it's better to do as much as you can on your own, to mm -hmm. ask for as little help as possible from everyone, not to be a burden to anyone. And so, I think this show has really taught me, at least so far, and it's only been a few months, but it's really taught me, like like you said, the power of reaching out and just being like, you know what? This is all I can do on my own. It's time for me to call in some power other than myself to mm -hmm. collaborate with to help solve this. And I do feel like really honored that someone reaches out to us and is like, here's this thing in my personal life that is troubling me. Can you help me solve it? I, I like, I feel like I take that responsibility super seriously. Yeah, yeah, me too. it's something too. powerful to be entrusted with. It definitely is. And this is just a good idea for a show. Let's just call it what it is. Like you and I are fine, like, you know, but like Doohig gets some credit and, and Derek and others for coming up yeah, with this yeah, idea, yeah. which is basically like an old idea of like an advice column, but uh, a new idea, which is no one person has all the answers, dummy. That's right. <laughs> like, That's right. So, like, <laughs> so bring on other people and triangulate the problem. Because like, don't you always feel like when you read an advice column, which I definitely do, I do read advice columns, I love them. But when I read them, I have all these follow-up questions for the yes, person that's right. who wrote yeah. in. And I'm like, yeah. why aren't they in the room? You know? Right. So yeah, I'm, I'm feeling good. For me, my I just want to con continue that. Like I just want to continue 
just like creating the space for people to, to talk about things and asking these probing questions and commiserating. And I don't know, it's just super beautiful. I could go on and on, but I won't. But I will say I'm really excited that you have stuff in your future. And I'm excited that you keep doing work in the world because what you do is like valuable. And I just like really appreciate you and your work here and elsewhere. Thank you so much, Carvel. I appreciate that. And I, you know, I'm sure our paths will cross again. I'm, I'm guessing yeah. I can still reach out as a listener, right? I could write Absolutely. in to Rosie. I could reach out to the How To Hotline and be like, <laughs> "What do you do when you leave your podcast? Yes, right. You really, you really miss your podcast friends, you know? Like, <laughs> Dear How To, I just quit my job <laughs> at How To, but I want it back. What should I do? <laughs> <laughs> Is there any way to save face here? Please yeah, help. Totally. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so don't be surprised when that happens. I can't wait for it. So we are going to be searching for another co-host. So you might hear a few new voices on this show this summer, both Amanda and all you listeners out there. But we're still here. We're not going anywhere. So still feel free to send questions to howtoitslate.com or else leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. That's 646-495-4001. And we might have you on the show. Thanks, Carvel. Thanks, Amanda. Again, send your emails to howtoitslate.com or call us at 646-495-4001. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rosemary Belson, Kevin Bendis, and Jabari Butler produced this episode. Merritt Jacob is senior technical director. Charles Duhigg created the show. Carvel Wallace is my co-host. And one last time, I'm Amanda Ripley. Thanks for listening. <laughs>